Welcome to Growth Hack by Poppy Digital. Tips and tricks to master the algorithms from industry insiders. Now here's your host, Julian Espinoza. Welcome back to Growth Hack, where we break down marketing channels like Google, Facebook, Instagram, and show them how to make them work for you. Privacy, privacy, privacy. It's the most trending topic and the biggest fear for marketers across the board. Today, on this episode of Growth Hack, Kevin Hartman, Chief Analytics Evangelist at Google, joins us to talk about the future of privacy and what we can do to maintain successful marketing strategies. Our conversation starts with examining the zero moment of truth and how businesses fail to take advantage of the strongest moment of influence in the purchasing journey. In the second half of our conversation, we dive into how privacy changes reduce the amount of personally identifiable data, or PIDs, available to marketers. Kevin claims marketers have become dependent on PIDs such as behavioral data, demographic data, and psychographic data. This is forcing the marketing industry to find new ways to reach audiences. We wrap up our conversation by talking about Kevin's three strategies on how to prepare for the upcoming privacy policy changes and lessen our dependence on PIDs. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, Julian. How are you? <laughs> doing well, doing well. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm really, really happy to be here. We usually start these podcasts right into the growth hacks. But before we do that, I think your role is so unique. I'd love for you to explain what you do at Google. Sure. Yeah, it is a little uh, unique sounding for sure. I, so so I am I'm chief analytics evangelist at Google is the official title. Um, it, it, it really is a great role. I mean, what, what that means is that I am responsible for designing and, and scaling strategies all around data collection, data analysis, and, and insight development uh, for our largest advertisers to really help them tackle their biggest, hairiest questions and challenges with data. How did, how did this role get created? How did, how did you fall into this role? The role creation and me falling into it are two separate stories, um, right? Like the role creation, um, this is a very, probably not hard to believe, but a very Silicon Valley role. I, I think maybe, you know, in the early days of Silicon Valley, the, this idea of evangelists started to, to gain momentum because... Um, promoting digital, promoting all these new ways of working uh, was really important. And you needed someone to do that, right? And, and so the evangelist became that person. Um, for me, you know, I've, I've spent a career at Google doing a variety of different things, working on the sales side for a while, getting into a more comfortable role in the measurement and analytics space. Um, and, you know, this is to do the things that I'm able to do in this role, to talk about the things that I'm really passionate about, to do that with our clients and our, our largest advertisers, all of it really fit. Let's start with a key marketing concept, zero moment of truth. Can you walk our listeners through this? Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right, Julian. That, that is where a lot of things begin, right? The, the zero moment of truth, or ZMOT, as we call it, is a concept that was introduced by Google in 2011, um, still early days of the internet. It, it is designed to really revolutionize and kind of update the traditional three-step model of marketing that Procter & Gamble had promoted, where there was a first moment of truth 
which is when the uh, consumer is standing at the aisle and having to choose between two brands, right? And that for a brand is that first moment of truth. The second moment of truth was when the consumer got the product home and does that product live up to expectations or not, right? What Google identified is that there's a, a great amount of pre-shopping behavior right, that, that consumers are engaging in, particularly as the internet and digital was becoming more important. Hence, the zero moment of truth. This is time that consumers are checking out blogs and looking on social media for, for product uh, direction and reviews and, and just collecting information that is arming them with the ability to make smarter decisions in their purchases. And so that's a, for Google, obviously a very important time because we are deep in the zero moment of truth as a search engine, someplace that consumers are going to to, uh, to, to get their questions answered and, and usually a really important part of that zero moment of truth for consumers. You know, so the internet has really shaped um, how consumer behaved consumer behavior has changed. And, you know, the, the, the example is we know what the dealership is paying for our car, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And where we are today is that we, we do a lot more research um, mm-hmm. before we buy a product. So coming to zero moment of truth, why is it so important for digital marketing? Yeah. You know, truthfully, for digital marketing, it's everything. Look, all of these interactions that are taking place during that zero moment, are, is an opportunity for a brand to connect to a consumer, uh, an opportunity for them to influence behavior, right? And an opportunity for them to sort of shape the brand perception that they want that consumer to have of them. So it's a tremendously important time for the brand in just promoting itself. It is also an equally important time for that brand to learn about consumers. Look, every single time a consumer watches a video, right, on YouTube, we know, marketers know, what they're interested in. Every time they skip an ad that we've showed them on YouTube, we know what they are not interested in, right? Every time they like a page on Facebook, we have an idea of what their their categorical interests are it, there's just it's such a rich and important time for the brand for so many reasons but to your point it, it's how uh, as consumers behavior have changed with the introduction of technology and all these new opportunities for them that zero moment is the time that brands are able to adopt and adapt to the changes that consumers are are exhibiting, right? And uh, and because, as you're saying, it, it's all digital, it becomes quantifiable, it becomes recordable, it becomes data that that brands can use. You know, I've been in the digital marketing world since 2006. We started with banner ads, those pesky little banner ads on forums and driving traffic. Facebook hadn't even been released yet, and so. I've seen the internet evolve, right? Being in this digital marketing era. And what I, you know, now that we've put a name on it, call, calling it the zero moment of truth, um, I've seen so many companies sort of fail mm-hmm. at capitalizing on this. Mm-hmm. You know, most companies are trying to just run straight, direct response advertisement, mm-hmm. one for one. Hey, did that banner ad, did that Facebook ad drive us 
a sale instead of kind of utilizing the zero moment of truth before the consumer is in the deeper in the buying cycle, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting that to them early. Why do you think companies are are failing at utilizing zero moment of truth? Yeah, and and you know, truthfully, Julian, the the answer to that is is somewhat surprisingly complicated, it, and, and it's become more complicated over time. Um, I mean, one of the things, look, a a big component to being able to connect to consumers at that moment is just digital maturity. Uh, You need to have the systems in place. You need to have the understanding of of those data, the the ability to collect those data and do something with it, which means you have to have a a strong analytics capability. You have to have strong partnerships. with the platforms and, and others who are generating those data for you. Not every organization is there uh, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they're just too siloed. Sometimes they don't have the strong leadership that is required to really unite the organization under a set of KPI or, or any kind of singular view of what digital should be, right? So, so there's, a, there's this maturity challenge that many organizations suffer from. In recent years, this idea of privacy challenges that have been introduced and, and, and really the abuse that we've seen in, in data usage and data collection has led to a, 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 an onslaught of regulation and industry moves that are making it more challenging for brands and advertisers to collect data during that zero moment. And and that now has thrown a little bit of a monkey wrench into some companies' operations, even, even organizations that were t- attuned to the importance of digital data and utilizing that data um, are finding it more challenging today and, and frankly, are, are failing at the zero moment uh, today, even if they were successful in the past. Explain digital maturity. I think that term, I've been in digital marketing for 15, 20, 15, 16 years now, and this is the first time I've heard it. And I, and, and I think the lens that you're putting it in makes so much sense. Can, can you address the, the concept of digital maturity for a second? Yeah, and it really is a, ro- I mean, look, there's a generalized idea of maturity, but there are some real robust definitions of what digital maturity is. And those, unsurprisingly, have come out of really big thinkers, consulting firms like BCG, Boston Consulting Group, Bain Consulting, have really well-defined ideas of what it means to be mature in the space. And this is based on a great deal of research that they've done uh, and they have actually codified it to the point that you can you can earn a score of your digital maturity. Um, I think in both of those examples, Bain uh, has partnered with Google. BCG has partnered with Google to offer online um, surveys, effectively, that you can take today and determine what your maturity is. But those those definitions are really around different uh, important components of brands and advertisers being successful in the digital world. What kind of technologies are you using? What is the people power that you are bringing? What's the, the, uh, the, the philosophy that you embrace, right? So both capabilities in terms of, of technology, people, and process all combined to, to, to ensure that the organization is either able to take advantage 
of the opportunities of digital or is somewhere behind um, on that maturity scale uh, uh, today. And I'm sure we'll have in the show notes a links to those surveys that people can do these assessments for, for themselves. Um, going to what you're talking about, and it was really interesting kind of watching this unfold uh, with, with, the, with the 2016 election and, and all, all these different elections um, that have happened in the last few years and sort of these bad actors. Um, wh- where we are today with privacy is definitely been an evolution. We've evolved with privacy. At the start of the internet, we wanted the internet to be free. As we know, we, the internet's just, nothing's for free. So so we've evolved though, and we're starting to see that people are starting to willing to pay more. They're, we're, not, we're not interested in watching ads anymore. So things like Netflix and Spotify are more popular, right? And so we've seen this transition uh, moving away from 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 what we were uh, what we're accustomed to, and now we're seeing that there's these bad actors that are sort of causing sort of issues and and really you know taking all the fun from the digital tools that we have. So can can you give us some examples of what a bad actor could look like without naming any names, um, and give us some examples of what's led us down this path of these privacy changes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and for the context like you're talking about, the digital advertising and the revenue that's generated there is the lifeblood of places like Google, Facebook, others, right? It, sure, today, to your point, you can you can buy a premium subscription to YouTube and you don't have to watch videos or ads any longer. But if you're not willing to do that, those ads are what provide Google with the revenue that it needs to continue to allow you to watch YouTube without paying anything, right? It's why you can post to Facebook and, and, and enjoy your membership there without paying or Snap or any others, yeah? So it, it really is the infrastructure or the, 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 uh, the lifeblood, again, of those platforms. The information that is collected is just going to help create more tailor uh, or personalized ads so that at least hopefully you're going to see some ads that you don't mind seeing. <laughs> you're going to see ads, right? But at least they'll be relevant um, to you if, if, if you share that information. Um, but somewhere along that line, and I think it's, it's primarily because of the amount of money we're talking about. I mean, we are literally talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. It has attracted a lot of actors who are sh- cutting corners, are, are being irresponsible. There are other bad actors that I would term to be the worst of the bunch who are purposefully um, misusing consumer data. There's an example of, I know, another location company who put their data collection tool inside of a marathon training app. Right where consumers are downloading a marathon training app, they think they're training for their next event, but really that data is being used to pre, uh, report out which quick serve restaurants they're attending. <laughs> right, uh, things that clearly there was never consent given for for that, and so uh, um, the 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 privacy concerns that we're under has limited the amount of data that we can collect as marketers. It is also rightfully 
ensure that consumers give consent to the use of their data, have a better understanding of who's using that data and how it's being used, and also have the opportunity to opt out of that data collection. And unfortunately, there are a number of actors in our space who are still skirting around those uh, those uh, what really should be table stakes for our relationships with consumers. Uh, Kevin, that sounds scary. <laughs> Yeah, and it is. And it's, it's the reason we're in the position that we're in. And, and we should be. We've done it to ourselves, right? I mean, look, the, the idea of creating personalized ads, inherently, there isn't anything wrong with that, as long as you accept the premise that you have to see ads, which, as we said, to keep this internet as we know it, uh, that's right now how we keep the doors open. What can businesses do to yeah. counter this future? Because it, it's not like privacy and the evolution of privacy is going to stop with where it is today. It's going to continue to evolve, which means that we're going to get less data. So how do we counter that and how do we prepare? Winning advertisers really can do three things. They can, they can prioritize that first party data. Uh, they, can, they can improve the way that they interact with consumers. They can offer more value to that consumer to give more data directly to them. They can treat that data with um, the, the sort of privacy concerns that the consumer expects. And, and they, can, they can make more of a priority to collect those data. The second thing they can do is start to implement strategies that turn that first party data into value. It, it, it can be in the way that they segment their consumer. It, it could be in the way that they calculate lifetime value. It could be in the way that they they build their bidding strategies, right? But but using those data in a way that the business will benefit. And then the third thing that winning advertisers really can do to prepare for all of this change and in the future that we're, we're seeing just the beginning of is the idea of leaning into partnerships. Um, and that means identifying who are the good actors and who are the bad actors. And, and that can be done through some very simple questions, right? Just, just asking for transparency, um, asking for greater understanding of, of how that partner is preparing for the new world without cookies, um, how they're preparing for, uh, to, to, to modify their models, uh, to to better understand consumer behavior post-pandemic and pre-pandemic, right? Uh, all of those things can be really simple conversations that will show the advertiser who they can trust and who they can't. And, and winning advertisers are identifying those trusted partners and building strong relationships with them. This book that you wrote and sort of uh, our, our changes in privacy and sort of what's happening, um, I'm just... I'm happy that there's someone leading the charge with this kind of stuff. And I, I definitely uh, am so thankful that I think this is the first time actually you've publicly come and talked about privacy. Um, yeah, this is it. Yeah. I, I, and you made it very easy for me, Julian. Thank you. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, there, there's a project that you've been working for, for years now um, that we mentioned in the pre-show. Um, it's called Elevator. I, I think our audiences should hear about it. I actually want to hear more about it. So can you tell us about Elevator? Absolutely. Uh, Elevator, E-L-V-T-R dot com, is an online learning platform um, which is designed to be for professionals who want to go deeper into specific skill areas. It is a collection of 
great industry knowledge. Um, I've been lucky enough to be involved with them for uh, years now, and, and there's a, uh, some fantastic colleagues that I have who are, who are giving their industry knowledge through that platform. The, the course I teach is a digital marketing analytics course. Um, it is patterned after the book that I wrote. Uh, it's always been a lot of fun for me, and I, I think people who want to learn more about digital marketing um, and, and all of its many aspects uh, would, would get a great deal out of that course. Well, you know, I briefly went on the website before the show. Can, can you name some of the companies that are involved and some of the uh, speakers and teachers? Yeah, I mean, there, there are some top-notch um, industry experts. Um, we've got a couple people from Google there. Um, I believe we've got some people from Spotify, uh, from Facebook, uh, from some others uh, who are, are coming to the platform with a great depth of understanding and knowledge and experience that they are willing to share. So it's um, it's it's one of those places that I think is a really special collection of, of industry expertise uh, and, and hard to find anywhere else uh, and, and something that I'm very proud of. I, I Do I dare say it? It's like the master class for marketing? <laughs> sure. I think you could say that for sure. Um, you know, it, it's... Uh, again, it's a it's industry expertise all collected in the same spot, uh, and and I think people, anyone interested in these topics or any of the other topics that that Elevator offers for sure, will get firsthand really valuable experience um, and, and understanding. And again, everyone for the the domain, how do you get to it is elvtr.com. We'll have it in the show notes. We'll also have the assessment uh, there. And we'll have a link to Kevin's uh, book, Digital Marketing Analytics in Theory and Practices. uh, In practice. So Kevin, it's been great having you on the show. I mean, I know there's so much more to talk about, but your time's valuable and there's just too many things. So we look forward to having you on the show again. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Julian. This has been great.